Well, we are, are in the middle of a series on Acts, and we're coming to uh, the end of it, which is uh, fun, uh, but also, like, things are kind of ramping up a little bit here in the story, and, and it's becoming a little real here uh, for the, the apostles, for Paul uh, especially, uh, as he uh, now is in Jerusalem and, and is uh, facing, facing a lot. Uh, so as I thought about this, we're going to jump into Acts 22 this morning, uh, and I'm going to get you kind of caught up as fast as I can because we skipped over a, a little bit of parts here to get where we're at. But before that, as I was studying for the scripture, it, it just, what we're going to see Paul do here this morning is, not so much do, is he, what he experiences. We're going to see when Jesus becomes more than a name for Paul. And so why that question is significant for us at Bethel is that anyone that's a covenant partner in the last, oh, 20 years uh, probably has had to answer that question. That's the question that we ask all of our covenant partners, church members, before they become a member of the church to explain, to share, when did Jesus become more than a name? Now, I got here at Bethel uh, seven-ish years ago. And when I first heard that question being asked, I thought, that's a weird question. You know, I don't know. That just sounds odd. When did Jesus become more than a like, like, isn't there a better way for us to ask, you know, Share us your heart for Jesus. Like, you know, say, hey, could you share your heart for Jesus? Or, or share us a story about, about how you became to know, or how you knew Jesus, or, or your salvation story, something along those lines. But oh, silly me, and my first call as an associate pastor, and began to realize that the question is a very thought-provoking question. And as I began to see more and more people um, come alive as they answer that question, as they recall back to the time or, or a series of moments when, when Jesus moved beyond just this guy who lived 2,000 plus years ago, who had a lot of good ideas, caused a ruckus in Jerusalem, that he became actually their Lord and Savior, where they could say, he is my Lord and Savior. He has called me his own. And that tenderness, that, that switch in relationship that moves beyond all the head knowledge of belief in Christ, following Jesus, and all the things that we can pay lip service to, but actually be able to articulate when this became a real, true, living relationship and how it changed that person's life because of that. We get to see that today as Paul recounts his conversion experience with one of the best missionaries that the church has ever seen, the Apostle Paul. Are you excited for that? I know I am. So let's figure out where we're at here, okay? So now, Paul, if you were to, we're, like I said, we're on the end of this journey of Acts. And the Apostle Paul was in the church of, of, of Ephesus, Ephesians, where we get the letter Ephesians from, right? And he had a significant three-year ministry there, and he receives kind of this call. It's time for him to pack up toys, and he has to go to Jerusalem. And everyone and everything is trying to tell him, do not go to Jerusalem. This is, it's, it's, it's not a great area at the moment for you, and you probably should go. And, and last week, we kind of charted his course as he went from like kind of port to port and visited different communities of faith that he started who ministered to him and encouraged him. But then also, through the Spirit, we're trying to say, don't go. Paul, please, we care for you. There's a lot of danger here. And what we saw with Paul is that the, uh, you know, it's the heart that makes it great. And he just kind of dug more deeper into his call and assurance that knew that he had to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what awaits me there. It could be death. It could be imprisonment. But I know I have to go. 
Well, we get now to Jerusalem, okay? And this is towards the end of Acts chapter 21. Remember, we're going to look at 22 today. So I'm just going to try to speed through what has now happened because it's a little significant. So he gets to Jerusalem and he goes to the church of Jerusalem and there he meets the brothers. And now he recounts all the good things that he did with the Gentiles, okay? And they give glory to God for that. Everything is, is fantastic. But then something weird happens. James, one of the uber apostles, I call him, you know, James says to Paul, well, that's great, basically. Now, this is my version, so you'll need to go and, and read the actual Word of God. Please don't take my word. Okay. But anyway, so you go there, and James says to him, that's fantastic, but um, we've had great Jewish Christians, Jew Jewish people coming alive to the gospel here, many, many people coming here, and explains to Paul that the climate is a little bit not great at the moment. So let me explain. See, right now in Jerusalem, there's a new kind of Roman governor in town. And he's not making it great for, for, for Jewish folks. In fact, it really has been great for Jewish folks. They've been scattered and spread apart and, and things like that and, and whatnot. And, but it's just getting worse. And so what, is, what we're seeing is a rise at this time in Jewish kind of nationalism and pride and, and Jewish folks saying, no, we're going to hold firm to what we believe in under this persecution, as anyone would, as, as what we would call Christians to do under persecution. But it's making it awkward and it's making it um, hostile for people like Paul. And so these accusations are flying around that Paul has led not only Gentiles away from following the law of Moses, but Jewish Christians as well. And this is not great. Paul has become a liability for the church in Jerusalem right now. And James is instructing Paul, what I need you to do is I need you to go into the temple. Here are four guys who are practicing a ritual of purification. They are trying to cleanse themselves so that they can go to the temple, pay for whatever they need. You also do the same type of, of, of ritual of cleansing as well. And do it in the sight of the temple so that everyone sees you, so that basically they know that you have not abandoned your good Jewish ways. And now as I read that, I'm thinking, okay, Paul's probably going to come back and be like, um, step off, James, because, you know, Paul is, is that type of guy, right? If it's not right, he's going to let him know. But Paul, Paul doesn't do that. He does exactly what James asked him to do. He takes the four guys, he goes into the temple, he begins that, that cleansing purification thing and, and all, all that. And I don't know, I, I, it just kind of dawned on me that I wonder, because it's not written, so you have to kind of like see what's in the scriptures and, and, and trust that this is all obviously going the way it's supposed to go. But maybe perhaps Paul did what James wanted him to do because he knew what it was going to lead to. His eventual being captured and seized by the temple authorities because he's persona non grata at the moment, all right? So as soon as he goes in there and he's got a group of Gentile Christians with him that he brings with him into the temple and even beyond the Gentile courts, which, oh, you know, all bad things happen there. And so as soon as they see him, that's exactly what happens. They seize him. They take him. And not only do they take them, they take them out of the temple, they slam the gates shut, they bring them out into the, into the streets, and they start beating them up, 
and the whole city of Jerusalem is under confusion, it says. Everyone's causing a ruckus, and they're, they're, they're wanting to kill him, and, that, and all the accusations are flying. And finally, the Roman people, the Roman guards or whoever's in charge, whoever's running the show here, uh, goes out and sees this commotion. And they go down, and they can't even get a word in edgewise to find out what Paul's doing. And so they kind of bind him, and they take him away from the mob. And at that point, Paul appeals to the Roman peoples that, hey, I'm a Roman citizen as well. And they're like, oh, okay. And, and then he says, I would like to address the crowd. And he's granted permission for that, because there's some rights that come with being a Roman citizen. And so then Paul turns, and he addresses this mob of, of Jewish folks that are made up of not only just Jewish people, but also, we think, too, some of the Jewish Christians that converted to Christianity. There's this reversion that is happening under this new regime of power that's just unsettling for the church of Jerusalem. When we left the church of Jerusalem back, I think it was in Acts 15, and I can't, don't quote me on that, but seven some chapters ago, they had just this great monumental moment. Remember, Paul arrives, they have this dispute over what to do with the Gentiles. Like, do they have to follow the law of Moses or do they not? And they talk about it and they come out on the other side and they say, no, there's freedom in Christ for them. We as Jewish people, we're going to continue to follow that, that law of Moses and believe in Christ, but the Gentiles, they don't have to because they're not eth ethnically Jewish. It's fine. All green lights, right? And it's great. And now we get to hear... And there's pressure from the world, there's pressure from the leadership, and they're backtracking hardcore. They don't want anything to do with the Gentiles. They don't even want them around, and, and they are incensed that Paul would lead not only them, but their own Jewish Christians, his own Jewish brothers, away from the law of Moses. And so as they, they bind him and they take him away, and Paul says, I want to speak to the crowd, he is given the permission to do so. And it's here in Acts 22 that we are going to see when Jesus became more than a name for Paul, as not only does he give a defense for the gospel, but also recounts when this happened for him and how significant it is. And you know what? We're going to look at three discoveries here when Jesus becomes more than a name. When Jesus becomes more than a name, we discover three things that I see in this passage. One, what does it mean to be a true child of God? When would we say that we have had this encounter with the Lord and He is our Lord and Savior, we, we, we get this answer. What does it mean to be a true child of God? And then furthermore, then what is at stake? If that is our identity, and this is who God has called us to be and into this relationship, what's at stake now? What is, what is our purpose? What is He calling us to do? And then lastly, what does it require of us? And this all comes to kind of ahead here with Paul in his first defense. There's going to be a lot of defenses. This is a long passage in Scripture, but here's his first crack at it, and he comes out of the gates swinging. Remember, he's being accused that he's not being a good and faithful Jew. And I think that the crowd is thinking he's going to defend himself on his Jewishness, but look at how he goes about doing it. So let's, let's go in. Let's go in and discover these things of how Paul interacts. What does it mean when we say Jesus becomes more than a name, and what does he discover? Acts 22, verses 1 through 16, let's kind of dive in. So, 
He now looks at them and he addresses them in the Hebrew language. That comes uh, from the last verse of Acts 21. It's important here because that Hebrew language that he is addressing them in is actually Aramaic. And so he chooses, I think strategically, a language that only a native-born Jew would really have a mastery over and would be able to rally everyone behind in that, in that sort of arena. He says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, in Aramaic, they became even more quiet. So a hush falls over the crowd. He's got them. He's got their attention. He says, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, of the law of our fathers. Being zealous for God as all of you are this day, he says. I persecuted the way. That's the, the way meaning people who follow Christ. I persecuted the way to death, binding and delivering both men and women, imprisoning them as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those people of the way also there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Now as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And now we get kind of a retelling of Acts 9 of his conversion experience. And there's some subtle differences here. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that life, light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me who came to Damascus. Then he gets there, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of all the Jews who lived there, came to me standing by me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the very hour I received my sight and saw him. Now circle these next verses, 14 through 16, because this is, this is the powerful stuff here. And he said, Ananias said to Paul, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. When did Jesus become more than a name for Paul? I feel it's right here in verses 14 through 16. I think the, the Damascus Road experience was, was profound, and that's, it's the building blocks to what he's getting to. But I think it's when a fellow Jewish person who also, Ananias, received a vision from Christ to tell, and tell him what to do with Paul, I feel like when he receives this well-respected Jewish person who says, the righteous one from God our fathers has appointed you has called you to be a witness of everything you have seen and heard, of all the dots that you are now connecting, 
from your pedigree of learning from Gamaliel as, as, a, as a Pharisee, all the theology of what it means to be Jewish, you're now connecting all of these dots. And Ananias says to Paul, now you get to go and be a witness for that. I think that's when Jesus became more than a name because if we go back to the beginning when Paul addresses this Jewish crowd, the beginning of Acts 22, he makes this defense. It's the Greek word is uh, apologia or apologia is where you get the word apology from. It means defense. It means from apo, which means from, and logos, which means intelligent reasoning. He's making from an intelligent place, a place of well-thought theology, he makes this defense. And he's not defending his good Jewish nature the way that the Jews want him to, that you follow the law of Moses and you stay within the will of God. See, that's old Jewish theology. Old Jewish theology is you follow the Ten Commandments, and if you follow the Ten Commandments, everything's great. If you break those Ten Commandments, you got to do stuff. you got to cleanse yourself. you got to purify yourself so that you can come back into the good graces uh, of, of the one true God. And so that's why they're holding on to this because Gentiles are not a part of that nation. They're not a part of Israel that Abraham started because of his obedience, whom God said, you are my chosen people. These Gentiles don't follow that law, and therefore, they can't come into the temple. They can't be a part of us. And so why are you, Paul, even interacting with that when you should be staying here being a good Jew? And so they're expecting that defense. But he doesn't do that, does he? No, he gives a defense of the gospel. He moves right into this Damascus Road experience so he can point to everyone that who I am following is the righteous one from the God, and not just any God, the God of who? Our fathers. Our fathers. You see, what I think that we discover here and what it means to be a true child of God in this interaction is that even though Paul's defending the gospel and not his good old Jewish nature, he inadvertently explains to everyone, I'm more Jewish, God's chosen, than you all. When he says, I was zealous just as you are zealous today, that's not a compliment to them. Because what he has realized is that his zeal was to persecute people of the way who was thereby persecuting Jesus himself, who is God himself. And once he connected that dot and made the realization he realized that that zeal put him where? Outside the will of God. And now that he knows Christ, and now that he has his, his call of what he's supposed to do, he's firmly back in the will of God and looking at this mob who all think that they're in the will of God, and he's saying, no, you're not. I'm more Jewish than you all here. When Jesus becomes more than a name, folks, this is when we realize who we truly are. Are. The world hands us just trash plate after trash plate of who we're supposed to be and where we're supposed to get our identity and purpose from. Don't pay that any mind if you know who Christ is. Because if he's more than a name, you realize that what the world is trying to shovel down is not true. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ, who calls you by name. And that when he becomes more than a name for you, you step into the very inheritance that he received. What did Jesus receive, you ask? What did Jesus receive, you ask, right? What did Jesus receive? He received the very glory and benefits of being the perfect, obedient 
human to God's will. This is another dot that, that Paul connects here. Remember the Ten Commandments? Remember Jewish theology? You gotta follow that to the perfect degree in order to stay in his graces? He realizes that that can't happen. It can only happen through Christ who perfectly obeyed God's will. And because he did that, the benefits that Christ receives from the Lord now come to us. We get those. We are set free. And so he's following the law that they're saying that he's not following. Do you get it? And so, I mean, he's not like me who gives, you know, the 50-minute to an hour sermons who can try to explain all this. So he's only explaining it in just a little bit. But I'm trying to pull that apart for you. This is what is contained just in those first four or five lines. Here's my defense. I am a Jew. I was being zealous for God, but I found the true way. I'm more Jewish than you are. When Jesus come more in the name, we realize who we are as true children of God. Now, there was three discoveries. So the second discovery that comes about in this is what is at stake here. So if we all can agree that Paul's Damascus experience where, where he, he went blind and then he saw Jesus and then he received the call as that being the time where his life totally switched, well, now they're, they're, the stakes are risen a little bit here for him. He's more than just this, this zealous Pharisee now. now. Now he is a child of the one true God who has been given a call to go and do something. What was his call to go and do? It's a word. Does anyone know? He was called to be a witness. He was called to be a witness. Now, we read that in English and we're like, okay, yeah, sure. He's called to, to share testimony about God. But my friends, it's so much deeper than that. When Jesus calls us into this relationship, he calls us oftentimes to do things that don't make a hill of beans of sense. And that if you think about it, when Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to find your life, you got to lose it. Okay, that doesn't track. Like, I don't want to lose anything about my life. When the rich young ruler comes and says, I want to be with you, and Jesus said, that's great. Sell everything. Sell all the stuff that you have and give it to the poor. Then you can come and follow me. And he can't do it. Because the stakes get risen just a little bit here when Jesus becomes more than a name. And so for Paul, it's not just go on and teach people. It's, I want you to be a witness. Now listen to these words, Acts 7, 22, verse 17. Paul says, when I had returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. So some time has now passed from his Damascus experience. He's praying in the temple. I fall into a trance, and I see Jesus saying to me, this is Jesus saying this, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat all the people who believe in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I stood by myself. I myself stood by and approved it, approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. So Jesus says, okay, you got your call. You're going to be a witness. I need you to get out of Jerusalem, and I need you to go far beyond. You're going to preach to all, all the Gentiles all this great stuff. And Paul goes, oh, let's look at this just real quick. And says to Jesus, now, you know my history, right? You got that, right? You remember I persecuted people, killed people, all because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And then furthermore, I took out Stephen, one of your seven. Like, he's a big deal. And I took him out and approved him. Are you sure that this, is what you, that this is what you want me to do? That's the tone that I get from the scriptures here. 
It has echoes to Moses. You remember Moses in the burning bush? And Moses says to God, I am not eloquent in speech. Please, I demand a recount. Do something else. I love that God works through imperfect people. And he's like, listen, I don't even listen to that. You, I, I've got something for you to do. And you're going to do great things because of it. There's a great role reversal here. Paul goes from being the one who persecutes to the one who is ready and willing to be persecuted. And Jesus, and the only Jesus way that he can, sometimes I think Jesus has a great sense of humor, even though this is life and death matters, but it does make me chuckle, that of the irony. Jesus calls Paul to step into the role of Stephen now, the one in whom he killed and cut short. How do I know that? It's, it's the, the re re repetitive word of witness. Ananias says to Paul, you are going to be his witness. Stephen was a witness. And now Paul is being sent out, just like Stephen was being sent out, to be a witness. What does witness mean in Greek? It means martyr. Do you get the word martyr? That's, what, that's the, the Greek word for witness. And martyr in here doesn't necessarily carry the connotation that you got to die. That comes because of people like Stephen and the apostles and everyone else who's come after them who have given their lives for the cause of, of Christ. And it's understanding that the stakes get a little bit higher when Jesus becomes more than a name. The mission is worth everything, even laying your life down for it. And Paul readily steps into that. Why? Because of the third discovery. What's, dis what's required of him is to give his whole, his whole self over to this mission. The last line he says in this passage, after saying all of that stuff about how God has called him, Jesus called him to go be a witness and to go and, and leave Jerusalem, verse 21, Jesus says, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, remember, this defense that we are reading is being said in front of a group of angry mob people, right? Remember, that's, that's where he started. The mob is angry. He's addressing them. What did that group do when he started using Aramaic? What did they do? They got silent, right? He's got them right from the very beginning. Got them in the palm of his hand. And he begins to teach, and he begins to use Jewish language. God of our fathers, all the things, the righteous one. This is all coming from prophecies. He's got them in the palm of his hands. In some ways, Paul could possibly be like Peter and take them one next step to have them maybe possibly receive who Jesus is. But this last line is Paul completely doubling down and stepping in to a situation where he knows it's going to create chaos. Because they are so bound up about the Gentile situation that when he says, Jesus, this righteous one from our Father, from, from the God, he's called me now to go and minister to the Gentiles. The next passage that starts, which would be next week, they lose their minds. They go crazy. They want him arrested. They want him killed. Why would Paul say that one that you could omit? Just admit that for right now, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, he knew. He knew that they were not ready to understand their true identity in Christ. They were not ready to accept the stakes, and they definitely weren't ready to be all in with this as he is. 
And so he doubles down because he's not going to shy away from what God has called him to do. And he says to them, this righteous one from the God, from our, our fathers, he's called me to go to the very people that you hate and detest and don't want anything to do with. And so they get ready and they're going to arrest him and bind him and, and, then, and then next week we'll see that it goes on. So there's more defense that's going to happen. But right here out of the gate, instead of trying to prove to them just how great of a Jewish person he is, instead he proves how great Christ is. That this is when Jesus became more than a name for me. And in so doing, I realized my true identity as a Jewish person. That my true identity as a chosen child of God is not found in trying to keep the law of Moses, but is found in following the one who perfectly does that and imparts all of those gifts and freedom on me. And that if I follow him, I need to be ready to be his witness wherever he may send me to go, even if it's awkward, even if it doesn't feel right, even if it's dangerous. And even if it flies against the authority of the day. And that when it comes to it, I will prove my faith by being all in. And will not shy away from the very statements that I know to be true, even if it means harm and ridicule against me. When did Jesus become more than a name for you? It may be a series of events. It doesn't necessarily have to be a line monumental moment. It happens differently for most people. But the outcome of it is, is knowing who you are in Christ and being willing to follow him wherever he calls you to go and being all in. That's our challenge. We have it easy in our country. We don't have all of this stuff necessarily going on to this degree. And so use that as a gift to freely share the good news of Christ without hindrance and without fear. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, again, I thank you. <clears throat> There's a lot. There's a lot here in Paul's first defense and a lot that we can pick apart and, and really sit with. But mostly, Lord, challenge us. Challenge us to remember. Remember the time where, where the switch was made in our lives, where we truly have discovered you to be more than just some ancient guy, but to be the true living Savior, the Savior that has called us by name. And for those of us in this room who, who have not made that discovery, God, let today be the first, the first step in, in, in researching and finding that out. Let people realize if they are in this room, that they are in this room by your hand to hear this message, to see other folks who are believing in you. Call them, oh God, call them into the faith so that they may know the freedom found in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let when did Jesus become more than a name to you? Do you remember that day, that time, that, that season in life where he visited you and opened your eyes so that you could see the gloriousness of who he is and the freedom that's found in him? My friends, if that has happened to you, Lord, uh, folks, witness that to other people. Show that to other people so that they may know also the true freedom and faith that's found in Christ. Do that this week. Do that every day. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Have a great weekend, everybody.